Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What is going on, people? You know that sounds the unfiltered band means yes, another episode of Unfiltered coming your way right here and right now. This will officially go down as episode number 239 in your scorecard. You can get us and jump on board the Unfiltered Revolution. 247365. Number of ways, of course, where most of you are Apple, Spotify, everywhere you get your podcasts, or you could jump on Twitter, the artist formerly known as X, if you will, at Casey Stern. Follow me there, jump up into the bio, and we'll connect you over to the YouTube channel. And make sure to hit like on all the videos and subscribe and tell your friends. 238 now, 239 episodes deep. And we thank the unfriend as always, as well. And you, wherever you might be, and a happy new year to you. I know probably a couple of days belated on when you're allowed to say that. But at the same time, I still have a Christmas tree up behind me that my kids haven't let me take down yet. So it is what it is. Uh, good to have you on board today. We focus on the Hall of Fame just now a couple of weeks away from finding out who gets in and who does not. And in all my years covering baseball, one of the things that has brought the most agita to me each and every year has been the Hall of Fame discussion, the Hall of Fame debate. And I want to start, before we get into some of the candidates and some of, as of now, where the votes are tallied and what's unexpected or what's surprising or all of that, and of course, give me your comments, whether you're watching on YouTube, you're listening, Apple, Spotify, ever you get your podcast, hit me up on Twitter as well, at Casey Stern. But before we even get to the individual ballot and talking about some of the particulars for this year, for 2024, I think it's important to talk about overarching where a lot of this has gone wrong and created problems. And you got to be fair on both sides of this because there are issues, but the issues are not voter wide and they're not industry wide because you can get in with 75% because even though it won't make sense if an Adrian Beltre is not sitting there in a unanimous vote, it hasn't made sense for a host of others when you're not getting it for the Tony Gwynn's and the Ricky Henderson's of the world among several tons of others that I could bring up over the years, you understand. And part of that is because, and let's start here. We are living in this world of you are only allowed to put 10 on the ballot. Now, this is the Hall of Fame, not the Hall of Very Good. People have complained for years and think somehow this has been diluted. The Hall of Fame in Cooperstown has never, ever, ever been diluted. Ever. Unless you want to give me, and I'm sorry, based on the committee, the Harold Baines situation, this has never been a diluted scenario because it is the best, the top 1% to ever play the game, which, by the way, are the top 1% to even get there that ever play the game when you think about from everybody's little league to high school to colleges and folks who are in the minors and never even snip at the big league level. But that is one of the issues that I want to get into, and certainly no issue here that we first to get this out of the way, are presented by our good friends at Bet Online. They are your number one source for your sports betting needs, latest odds, lines, and matchup reports. Whether it's basketball, football, baseball, boxing, golf, they got everything for you. All you could ever ask for. They are the fastest and easiest way to get all your wagers, live betting, favorite casino and card names. They're all available right now, right from your phone. So head over to the website, use your mobile device, sign up today to get in on all the action. And remember to use this promo code. It's believe, B-L-E-A-V, to get your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. It is better online where the game starts. And let's get started right where we are. And that is with the 10 per I have heard so many different 
reasonings why this makes sense, including having people, even with the ability to go choose 10, right, and have it not be unlimited, tell me, and I had a voter tell me on the air at SiriusXM years ago that they only voted for at max three or four maybe people on a ballot because they didn't want to be sitting there in the heat or in the rain. And I've been there covering both in Cooperstown and those great events in the summer, sitting there on that lawn for any longer. It's already long enough. We don't want to be there for a longer ceremony. And I kid you not, this is something a voter said to me on the air, not like a secret. We've heard, well, you know, by limiting it to 10, it enables everybody to kind of you know, get a shot. So you can kind of take the top off the board and, and then, you know, go from there. Or you can look at, you know, what your top 10 is. And, you know, to me, I don't care. Sorry if we have one ceremony that lasts three days and then the next year and the year after we've got one each. Whoever belongs in the Hall of Fame should get in the Hall of Fame. Let me remind you again, whoever belongs in the Hall of Fame should be in the Hall of Fame. That means on the first ballot, on the seventh ballot, or on the 10th ballot, if you're going to only allow 10. Now, when you only allow 10 per, and you only allow 10 years, then you get scenarios where you're putting pressures on voters to not just answer the simplistic question of, does this player belong in the Hall of Fame? Yes or no. Because that is all I should care about. Not what year of eligibility they're in, right? Not if they have to get to 5% to stay on the ballot, which, by the way, is dumb as it is, because when you've had years that are stacked with you know, stack cards, if you will, of tons of Hall of Fame eligible players that are worthy of candidacy. Then you get situations like, and I'm talking about guys even that I don't think necessarily are Hall of Famers, but deserve way more considered underrated players, whether you look at Carlos Delgado's or the Jim Edmonds, the Lou Whitaker's, there's so many over the years who have gotten cut off in that percentage because, I look, I'd only vote 10, and that guy would have been 12th on my list. Well, I only care about this list, Hall of Famer, yes or no. But it's never going to be that way. We understand not going to be that way. So let's talk about the way it is. Well, the way it is now, you have most voters who will handle this with the responsibility and with the honor that this is. Because it is an incredible, incredible honor. There are, you know, no former players who are voting. There are no Hall of Famers who are getting votes. And we talk about and say for another podcast, because there's a ton of times over the years that to me, having a percentage of certain broadcasters who watch the game and understand the game as much as anybody would make sense or having a percentage of, you know, Hall of Famers that are current because they understand their peers better than we do and they do would make sense. And all of those things are not going to matter because at the end of the day, in umpteen conversations I've had with people at the Hall of Fame and different regimes of the Hall of Fame, those things are never getting changed with the Hall of Fame. It is the baseball writers, and those are the folks who are going to vote. And most of them, let's be fair, handle it the right way. And I'm not saying handle it the way you or I would in terms of voting every single guy that you think belongs in or every guy I think belongs in because you and I, wherever you are listening or watching this right now, might not agree on some of these names. You may think it is more diluted, even though it is not. You may think certain guys are on the fringe, even though they are not. You may think, well, because one guy got in before, then this guy should get in. And I don't look at it that way because I answer simplistically, do I think that person's a Hall of Famer or do I think they're not? And I don't have a vote, so what the hell do you care what I think anyway? But most of the people handle it with credibility. And that doesn't mean, again, agreeing with everything we say. The only thing I ask, the only thing I've ever asked is that a voter who gets a ballot understands the honor 
and understands the value of what you're getting to do to vote for the most exclusive class in all of sports. And that's what it is to be honored in that building, in those hallowed halls, and just take it seriously. To study it, to understand it, to understand the players, to understand the past and present, to understand the changes in the game, to do whatever you think is the right way, but to do it thoroughly. And if you do that and you come up with six guys that I don't think belong in and four that I do and we agree some and we don't, that's fine. And even if you came up with a blank because you don't believe anyone belongs in the Hall of Fame, then that is fine too. But what is not fine is when there are clear candidates for the Hall of Fame and you have a blank ballot, or you have one or two guys, and you are here to get your name out there. And I have had this happen, I don't know, so many times. And anybody who's listening or watching this who followed my show at SiriusXM knows that some of the, the louder, crazier interviews that I've had with the Murray Chasses of the world, among others, over the years, were about just unbelievably ridiculous ballots where they had decided, you had a guy you know, voting for Mariana Rivera because I'm not, I'm not going to put somebody who played in this era on the ballot. Guys who didn't vote for somebody because they didn't give them interviews when they covered them. You got all kinds of crazy crap. And to me, that is where you bring down the group. Now, again, being fair and going back, because this is something that current voters and people in the baseball writers, folks who vote for this have said to me several times on and off the air over the years when I go nuts about all this crap. And they say to me, hey, look, I get it, Casey. It pisses us off, too. I've heard that. And we wish that guy's vote would get taken away also. Right? And for things far worse than, you know, the guy this year who, again, I don't mention these names not because I don't know them. We all know them and you can go look it up on Twitter, but I don't want to go give them any more credibility or any more you know, shine for this nonsense that they spew out so they can go put out on a blog or some report because they happen to have tenure to be on this list of voters that they can go kind of get some votes and get some people to get them on Instagram and follow them because any news is news and any press is press if you're looking to get it, right? So I'm not going to mention the name, but the guy who didn't even know that Chef, Gary Sheffield, obviously a longtime friend of mine, somebody who worked with next to at a desk for seven years, it, that they didn't even know he was in his last year. Maybe they would have voted for him if they knew it was his last year of eligibility. Again, the pressures of only 10 and then only 10. 10 on the ballot, 10 years. But far worse than that, we have seen these principles that these guys stand on these soapboxes. Times can change. Votes can change. Opinions are okay. Soapboxes are not. Times can change. Votes can change. Opinions are okay. But soapboxes for this kind of honor are not. Please click the like button. And if you don't agree, tell me. Because I don't get it. That's the part that drives me nuts. But to be fair, let's go back. What they say to me is, well, Casey, look, it's only 75%. You don't need 99%. So that guy out of the 500 whatever some odd people who vote, not going to cost you getting into the Hall of Fame. And that is a fair point. It's a fair point. So you may be upset going back to it. The guys aren't getting 100% or, you know, what about these three people who didn't vote for this guy, whatever the case is. But at the end of the day, they're correct. You can get 75% without a jackass or two who does things the wrong way. Now, do I think those people should have their votes rescinded? Do I think that if you're an umpire like Angel Hernandez, you shouldn't be allowed to be an umpire? I don't care how you got there first. Yeah. Do I think if you're a teacher in a, in a school and you're telling kids that America was, uh, you know, it wasn't discovered by Columbus in 1492, but Tiger Woods in 1992, that you probably shouldn't be an educator. You probably shouldn't be an educator at that point. 
But they're going to leave all the people. This is just the way it is. But yes, being fair, let's look at it from all sides because I'm going to kill everything and everybody. This is 75%, right? That's the threshold you need. But when you put the pressures of the amount on the ballot and all these things and you make it much less simple than are they a Hall of Famer or are they not, it makes it difficult. And by the way, all the different sports have different idiosyncrasies with this and none of them are necessarily very easy. So it's not just baseball that's not you know, perfect in this way. And there's never with any vote, hello, going to be any kind of perfection or way that everybody's going to agree with it. I say times change and opinions change and votes can change. Sometimes the system is wrong, but then you can do the right things by in which you are allowed to in that system. What do I mean by that? Well, if the system is wrong that you think that I, you know, let, let's say, you know, shouldn't be able to do whatever, you know, if, if we take away three second violations in the NBA, whatever you want to talk about, I don't care. You took away two line passing and any rules that are changed. Hey, if you give me an opportunity now to, Within the new aspects of this game, do X, Y, and Z. Well, I'm not breaking rules, so I'm going to go ahead and take what I can take, right? So if you give me this system where the first ballot isn't the only ballot, and I can go ahead and I can use, you know, whatever I want. So I, I put, you know, these people who vote like, you know, their cousin's neighbor's friend in as the 10th vote, and these throwaway votes drive me freaking nuts. Now, if you vote for American Idol, you want to do that at home, or you're texting 976-whatever-the-hell for the voice, I don't really care. Maybe doing it for the Hall of Fame. I don't want, you know, hey, this guy really tried hard. And look, I don't disrespect to any player who's on a ballot or who played in the big league level because most of us, including me, we're going to sniff any of those things as athletes, right? But at the same time, I don't throw away votes and votes for the wrong reason aren't okay either. And they take up spots that a Gary Sheffield or a Billy Wagner, right, who's in his ninth year, Shep in his 10th, could have gotten in other years that they didn't get because oh, I'll worry about it next year when they're in their last couple of years of eligibility. I'll get to them later. Well, it wasn't okay when they got to you later if you wanted an interview at your, at your locker in the clubhouse, was it? But we'll get to you later. And that's how some, again, not all, but some of the voters handle this. Never been okay with me. But because of the system the way it is, and because you can have all of this time, you can then watch statistics change. You can then watch votes change and how people look at things like people who were involved or you think they were involved or I'm not sure if they're involved. You know, go back to the Mike Piazza vote. Like to me, and look, uh, yeah, I'm a Met fan. And yeah, I covered it. And yeah, you know, I was at the game with the you know, 921-01, the greatest sporting event I've ever been to and all of that. So I'm putting all my votes for Mike Piazza. But there are a whole host of people who think, oh, well, yeah, Mike Piazza did all those things that a lot of players were getting away with doing, right? That's great. Well, you know what? The more that people like that have gotten in, and again, not trying to single up, but just people who, okay, well, there have been these ideas of what they did or didn't do. Jeff Bagwell, who you want to throw in there? And I'll talk about Barry Bonds and A-Rod, but outside of that, right? Well, then, then that'll open the door for more people. Once closers were looked at in a way where we respect saves and we respect that category, then they'll look at differently. This is the same way field goal kickers were in the NFL or however you want to handle it, right? So times can change. Votes can change. Opinions can change. But soapboxes are not okay. Your thoughts, want to hear them in the comments, let me know. Jump at me. Uh, iTunes, iTunes uh, Spotify, everywhere that you're listening. If you're watching on YouTube or, of course, on Twitter at Casey Stern uh, or artists formerly known as Twitter X, if you will. Because to me, it's a slap in the face to the players who 
did this for a living and did all the things we've all dreamed of doing, because the people who are voting for this are no different than you and I. And being in the media and being a fan is no different on either side in this matter, right? Whether you could write for a living or you have a big mouth or you got lucky or you didn't and you're sitting there and you're doing the same things at the bar and you're just not doing on TV or radio where we all wish we could be them. Well, let's keep the same respect and not slap these players in the face afterwards in not taking seriously the ability to vote for the Hall of Fame. As I, by the way, do what I'm telling them not to do. Not okay in a vote to get in a soapbox, but to me, I think important here at the outset to get into all that. Adrian Beltre is, to me, one of the most revered players over the last three, two, three decades in sports. And I can tell you, covering the game myself and being there for years, covering it with the Texas Rangers in the postseason, doing a documentary on Sirius XM, which I did and wrote and hosted and was you know honored to be a part of that we did with the Rangers when Beltre was there and getting a chance to sit down with him and talk to him about all the great things in his career, all the way to the crazy part. For those of you who don't know that the dude didn't wear a cup at third base, which is insane with people like Chef batting from the right side and playing in the hot corner is just nuts. But Adrian Beltre sitting there at 98.4%. He's not going to get 100% of the ballot, but this guy's a no-brainer Hall of Famer. Defensively was a wizard. I think, to me, the most underrated part of what he did in his career was here is a guy who, after the big deal in Seattle that he got, everybody thought that his whole story was going to be that he was going to be a bust. Here's a dude who got the money, and now he's never going to live up to. Now he's never going to continue. He's not going to vault up when he gets the money. He's gonna, you're not going to live up to the contract. He got the contract. Now he's going to basically just kind of coast the whole way. Then he went to Boston. Things turn around, Texas and all she wrote. And this guy became one of the great leaders in the game of baseball. Watching the way the Elvis Andruses and even the, the veterans like the Michael Young and the younger players like Elvis and like Ian Kinsler at the time, and, and the list goes on and on and on. Watching the way that these guys and ask players, the players who watch this certainly could comment on this, and explain this to fans better than me, but I saw it covering that team. Unbelievably, very similar. The only other guy that I covered that I watched that kind of thing was David Ortiz in the clubhouse with the Red Sox in covering that. It's the, it's the only thing to me that I saw at that level. It, it just was a different sort of thing in terms of the, the, the nature of the reverence and the respect that Adrian Beltre carried. So clearly belongs and should be a Hall of Famer. I have been surprised that people are surprised that Joe Maurer is sitting there north of 75%. Sitting now at 82 point as I do this and put this out there on, what, the 7th of January here on a Saturday. As far as, as the votes are now, I'm surprised people are surprised. I think one of the reasons that people are surprised about Joe Maurer being put in this soon is because there's this whole idea in the Hall of Fame, and this exists for the Dale Murphys, it exists for the Don Mattingly's, and, it, and that's just a couple of examples of guys who maybe are not in the hall or in the outskirts who <clears throat> had Hall of Fame talent and Hall of Fame, you know, pockets of their career, but then either, you know, were on the downside or injured at the end or weren't able to kind of you know, stay up at the same level or, you know, how many years is enough years? You know, it's okay for Jim Brown, right? And Barry Sanders obviously ducked out early, so that's different. You know, the Koufax or others here in this sport, but how many years is enough to be at the top level? And to me, when you're looking at a catcher and you think about what that does to the human body, for anybody who's ever talked to anybody who catches at the big league level, right? which is one of the reasons why Yadier Molina, for me, should be a first ballot Hall of Famer when he gets on, and I think he'll get in. I'm not sure if it's first ballot. 
But that, to me, is a guy who was, you went about revered and a leader. You go to that category as well. But a guy who posted every day for however long he did at that level and doing the things he did is just mastery for me because physically, the toll it takes. So Joe Maurer ends up spending the last few years the first baseman, and you know, people then want to start to kind of pick and point about the fact that he didn't need enough home runs because he's in a premier position where at a corner spot in the infield, you're more asked, you know, more asked to do that than you were as a catcher. But here's a guy in Joe Maurer, MVP in 2009, hit 365 with an OPS over a thousand, the only catcher in a single season, at least 100 play, uh, games played behind the plate to ever lead the AL or the NL in OPS. Top 10 in AL MVP voting in three other years, six time All Star. Five-time Silver Slugger, three-time Gold Glove, led the AL on base percentage twice, slugging once, fielding at catcher three times. The only catcher in history with at least 2,000 hits, 300 batting average, and a 380 on base percentage. Again, that last one should be repeated. Only catcher in history, at least 2,000 hits, 300 batting average, and a 380 on base. Why is anybody wondering why Joe Maurer is getting the love in his first year on the ballot as a Hall of Famer because Joe Maurer is a Hall of Famer. Absolutely. Without question, Joe Maurer is a guy who should be a Hall of Fame and right now trending to be that. I'm curious for the, the, the argument against Joe Maurer, unless it is what I said, and then you don't think at the top enough, and then to me, I mean, come on. I mean, do we remember what a catcher is supposed to do? Now, I'll jump ahead in the ballot and go down to a guy where, to me, it's unfair that – look – I'm not saying Andrew Jones was the hitter that Joe Maurer was at any point in his career from a pure hit tool standpoint, because clearly he was not. Even though Andrew Jones had really good high-level offensive production seasons, here is a guy who, towards the end of his career, hurt his overall numbers, wasn't able to stay on the field, wasn't hitting the baseball, wasn't hitting for the power, and all of those things went down by the wayside. And it, it changed that overall way that we look at him, where if he sits there at the end of his heyday with the Braves and walks off stage. Maybe he's looked at differently and more so than a guy right now. When you look at a guy sitting there at Andrew Jones is getting 67.5%. As of the 7th of January, again, in the votes, right? Here's why Andrew Jones has always been a Hall of Famer to me. And this is... Look, we all look at this differently, and your opinion is your opinion, and there's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't make mine right or yours wrong, all right? Because he's not a no-brainer guy. But let me tell you why, to me, he's a Hall of Famer. And I'll go to the Yadier Molina situation at catcher as well. There are certain positions where you're asked to do things at a high level defensively over doing things at a high level offensively. Or, at the very least, to do it defensively at an even keel than offensively. And that, to me, is catcher, shortstop, and in center field. Where Omar Vizquel has always been a guy who I have thought deserved to be in for his defense at shortstop and still part of the best double play combo, I think, in the history of baseball with Robbie Alomar when they played together in Cleveland. I have asked, I don't even know how many center fielders that played during the time that Andrew Jones played. During the time that I have been in broadcasting, I've asked them on and off the air both because sometimes people don't want to, you know, kind of, you know, crap at a guy or pick one over the other on the air. So I ask off the air and I won't use a name, but I'm curious, you know, what, Hey, you know, let me ask a few guys to kind of see what, what the thought is. And I'll toss, I'll toss a rod in here and Barry bonds in, in, in a different way. I will tell you that every player I've ever asked who played with or against Barry bonds 
every single one, even those who don't think he belongs in the Hall of Fame, even those who don't like what Barry Bonds did or stood for or whatever in terms of performance-enhancing drugs, every single one to a T, 100% out of 100, unanimous vote, have said Barry Bonds the best player they played with or against. Every center fielder I've ever asked who played with or Andrew Jones or against Andrew Jones, and most of them certainly against, and center fielders who know the craft, who understand it, including guys who have been on the ballots the last couple of years, every single one said the best defensive center fielder they ever saw was Andrew Jones. That's enough for me for you to be in the Hall of Fame. I didn't play. I'm not in center field. His whole career and six home runs a season, I get it. But with the numbers he has offensively, that's a Hall of Famer when every center fielder telling me he's the best defensive center fielder in the sport and the best, the best that's ever played the sport defensively. That belongs in the Hall of Fame for me. Billy Wagner. We went through a long period of time where we did not respect the save. And if at that time people did not put Billy Wagner into the Hall of Fame or didn't respect closers, or you had the goose sausages of the world who, you know, mind you, love goose, but he used to sit there every time Mariano Rivera would get some love. And, you know, back in the day, he'd say, well, I used to pitch three innings. And then you go to kind of Mariano Rivera in the postseason. And these nat- numbers are not the same probably now. Um, and I don't know where who else is in the category because now four-out saves are much more plentiful at times. You have to see it that way. And, and you see managers adjusting in the postseason. But there was a time where Mariano Rivera had, I think it was you know four outs or more saves in the postseason at 31. And the guy who was second was Goose. I think he had six. But there was a time we didn't value closers. We didn't value the save. And sometimes it's overblown. But we understand the importance when you do it at a high level. And when you're dominant at a high level. And I'm not even going to go through the numbers. Because if you're looking at that category and you're saying that this is a position that we value. And it is. And certainly was during the time. Look, even if you think now things have changed differently with the way that we use relievers, right? And we got three batter rules and... You know, we got, you know, numbers that change. It's not all lefty-righty. And we got all the kind of different things that we we look at in terms of maximizing a bullpen. And you could look at whether, you know, how Boach handled things in San Francisco or was it Tito and when he was you know, in Cleveland. I remember sitting there and, and watching the way he used Andrew Miller that year. Was it Kansas City? And all these different, you know, examples of how bullpens have changed over the years and how we look at them now where it's not, here's my seventh inning guy, here's my eighth inning guy, here's my ninth inning guy. Not the same anymore, right? High leverage and all of that. Imagine Billy Wagner now. Would he be any less dominant? Billy Wagner belongs in the Hall of Fame. He's in his ninth year. It looks like he's going to get in. He's over 80%. And he's also one of the best dudes I ever covered. And I had the pleasure of being, at the time, working for MLB.com. And I was doing Next Stop Shea. Shout out to any Met fan who remembers that. On Diamond Vision every day during batting practice and on the website. And I was on the field as the first person to interview Billy Wagner after they clinched and he got that final out in 2006, which if I remember correctly, Marlins 6-0, Traxel started, and my guy Cliffy, former broadcast partner and Frank LaFloy, caught it in left field. Billy Wagner, a dude. Speaking of former teammates of mine, Gary Sheffield is a Hall of Famer. Gary Sheffield has always been a Hall of Famer. When you think of the reasons that Gary Sheffield is not in the Hall of Fame, what are they? Well, defensively, he, he wasn't good enough for you. Okay, fair. Defensive numbers are not great. But again, if his job was to play center field or shortstop, not to at the beginning in Milwaukee, or catcher, and you want to tell me that, hey, the premier defensive position, not playing defense, that's fine. 
But how many Wayne Gretzky's or other guys are there? And I'm not comparing it with Wayne, but he just used another sport in hockey that were offensive where you could play two-way, that were offensive players that couldn't play a lick of defense, and nobody cared if they played any defense. What's the other reason? Well, the, the Mitchell report and what people think they know of Belko. Now, look, I am hesitant to any time when it's about anything but things that I know about myself, tell you that I trust somebody to the point where I tell you that I believe their word is bond about what they say, and this bond is on this bond, that Gary Sheffield wasn't doing what Barry Bonds was doing just because he happened to be working out with or getting workout tips after an injury from Barry Bonds. Gary Sheffield didn't need to use. Gary Sheffield was a guy who struck out at max 83 times in his career. Just think about that stat alone 83 times never struck out more than 83 now the number needs is 75 sitting at 75.6 percent of the vote as of right now 10th and final year on the ballot 22 seasons for chef nine all-star appearances five silver sluggers top 10 in the league's mvp voting six times 20 or more home runs 14 times 30 or more eight times at least 100 ribbies in eight different seasons. Led the league in batting average once, total bases twice, on base once, 300 or better batting average in eight full seasons, 21st all-time in walks. If you're sitting there and you're saying, well, Gary Sheffield hit the ball hard and he had the waggle and he hit homers, then you ain't paying damn attention or you're too young. Because in a world where we live now, where the idea is to make contact and get on base, nobody doing that enough, this is all this guy did, was make contact at a at a at an explosive rate with a hard hit percentage of 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 a wet dream, okay? If you're a baseball fan, sitting there look at those numbers and do it consistently every year and not strike out. Had a few pop-ups, we know that, but didn't strike out. Gary Sheffield has always been a Hall of Famer, and I will tell you that in my time covering the game, one of the most misunderstood people for whatever reason by some people, it's not by everybody, but this guy is as smart in uh, as anybody that I have met in covering the game, I sat and watched postseason games with him during b- between our, our pre and post for seven years. And, you know, he and Pedro were equivalent in terms of the way Pedro would describe pitching and the way Gary would describe hitting. In, in the understanding and the cerebral nature of how this, if this guy was a hitting coach in the big leagues, he'd be the best hitting coach in the big leagues tomorrow. Tomorrow. Gary Sheffield belongs in the Hall of Fame, and I hope he gets the nod in the 10th season. I hope so. You know, other people on the ballot that, to me, it's important to bring up, Todd Helton's going to get in this year. Todd Helton should have been in on this first ballot. I, I was told once by somebody no longer in this spot, but in the capacity of somebody who was in charge of the Hall of Fame in the front end of it, that the Hall of Fame is, is, is an education when you walk through the halls, and it's a story of the franchises in the sport and of the sport itself. Well, how the hell are you telling the story of the Colorado Rockies without that dude? Then go look at the numbers. You think Todd Helton was just about Colorado? Look, Colorado going to help everybody. But go break down the numbers for Todd Helton and go look at stats like OPS+. And go look at how it encapsulates the dominance that this guy had offensively everywhere. 158 OPS plus from uh, 2000-2005. Only guys ahead of him were Barry Bonds. He's good. Albert Pujols, pretty good. Manny Ramirez and Jason Giambi. Pretty good company. 
855 career road OPS is just below Ken Griffey Jr. and Reggie Jackson. This guy did it everywhere. And by the way, defensively is where Todd Helton's the most underrated because he was terrific that way too. And a leader and the face of the franchise and the guy belongs in and I can't wait to see him get in there. Belongs in the Hall of Fame. Chase Utley right now sitting at 43.1%. Chase Utley is one of the, the greatest competitors that I've seen play the game of baseball or have covered. And... You know, is he a Hall of Famer? I think this debate's going to go on for a few years. We'll see where the numbers go. Not going to get in this year, but certainly belongs on that list in terms of leaders and competitors and and big game players. Uh, great to see J-Roll getting some love. like to see him getting some more. He's at 13.8 right now. Uh, David Wright, who I got the, the pleasure of getting to cover all those years with the Mets, 5.7. Carlos Beltran, speaking of cover, and watched him change in terms of you know, being a guy that it seemed to shy away from the responsibility, turning into a leader in clubhouses, 66.7%. Carlos Beltran was a gazelle in the outfield in the way that he covered ground in the outfield and the way he played defensively. And I always tell people, it's like the idea of what people don't realize and a lot of Met fans specifically is you take away that first year where everybody was killing him. And really, a, I remember eight games into that next season, I was covering the Mets at the time. I remember sitting there and it was, it was talking about the fact that he was getting booed like eight games in, like there was no, Hey, we're going to, you know, we had one bad year and it is what it is. And look, we most recently Francisco Lindor first year, not the greatest, right? Not easy coming to New York from other markets for a lot of you. Tino Martinez, when he came in you know, to New York, was it like immediate either. And I've been filling in for Don Mattingly. Obviously I know that was a large part of it because people were like, okay, we're well, not Donnie baseball, but look what he turned in. Somebody takes some time. And Carlos Beltran had played in, okay, Houston during the eight-home run, you know, postseason, but most of the time in Kansas City. That was not an easy transition for him to make. But you want to talk about skills. Stolen base percentages off the charts, still all-time in that manner. A five-tool just stud. And five-tool, one of the most overused terms in baseball, this dude filling all those, all those spots. It was an all-around terrific and a great player. And belongs in the Hall of Fame. And I think we'll get in. I don't know if Beltran's going to get in this year. The way it looks right now is it'll be Helton and Billy Wagner for and Maurer and Beltre. And I hope and Chef comes in as the fifth. I think Carlos might have to wait another year. But let's see if he gets in. Surprised, actually, to see A-Rod up at 41.5% considering everything else and the way Bonds was handled. Because to me, if you're not letting Bonds in, you cannot let A-Rod in under any circumstances whatsoever. Uh, just the way that it is. I'm okay with both. The best players I've ever seen were Barry Bonds, Ken Griffey Jr., and Alex Rodriguez. Those are the best three players I've ever seen. So if you're going by just guys who are great players and belong in, and you don't want to sit there and say, well, <clears throat> here's who they were before they used or when they didn't because we don't know the impact, and I don't know, you know how long a ball would have gone this year versus the way it went that year and all that. But you want to just take great players, he certainly belongs in there. I'll tell you one thing. And I'm curious, anybody who, who buys into this, who's you know, watching this, a lot of, you know, obviously, and God bless, appreciate it. You know, former players who catch this on Twitter, X, if you will, or YouTube, or on Apple, Spotify, everywhere you get your podcasts. I am, I am very, very curious that I want to know what your thoughts are on Bobby Abreu, who may be one of the more underrated players of our lifetime. Go dig into the numbers about just what a great hitter Bobby Abreu was. And you'd be sitting there thinking, he belongs more than an 18.7%. And he's at this fifth year. He's still got time. 
And he kind of failed to my test in terms of when you watch Bobby Abreu play, did you say, hey, that guy's a Hall of Famer? You probably didn't. But if you dig into the numbers, is he a Hall of Fame hitter? He probably was. Want to hear you and get your thoughts. Give me your comments. We'll see what happens here. Jumping up in just a couple of weeks. Um, all the best to all of the candidates who are out there on the ballot. And congratulations to even getting there and the great careers that all of these guys had to even be on the ballot. And hopefully they get enough time to get that love. And remember, votes can change. Opinions can change. And there's always a place for opinions. But there's no place for soapboxes if you're voting. There isn't what we do. And, of course, what we do here at Unfiltered, presented by our good friends at Bet Online. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.